Good day to you, friends, and welcome back to another one of our online Bible studies. If you missed last week, we are having a look at the letter of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, the letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church. Um, and as we mentioned last week, it, it seems to have been authored by Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they had been missionaries to that community, um, but sometimes just for the sake of ease, we use Paul's name um, as the author. But I'm going to invite you to go into your to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it doesn't matter what version you have of the Bible, but we're going to look at that chapter today. Um, and so while you're turning there, I'm just going to offer a brief prayer, just as we commit this time to God. So, Lord, we offer you the space. We thank you again for the scriptures. We thank you for people like Paul and Silas and Timothy um, who had the fire in their belly to go and uh, share the gospel with those um, in their communities and even beyond that. And so today, as we hear and receive from the scriptures, may you continue to keep the fire in our own hearts um, alive and aflame. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 2 is relatively long. Um, it's 19 verses long. So I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing first and then uh, and then go through it. I'm just going to start going through it verse by verse. By all means, if you find it easier to get an overview of the chapter, um, just pause this Bible study right now and, and then read it through once um, and then, you know, then push play again and then you can you can take it verse by verse um, as we tackle this. So, so Paul says in verse 1, and I'm reading from the, the New Living Translation, um, and I like this translation because um, I, I'm very grateful for the Life Application Study Bible that I often use in preparing Bible studies and sermons. Um, it's a wonderful resource, and so I'm, I'm using the New Living Translation of that. Paul says, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Um, so verse 1, Paul is just recounting how their visit um, transpired and that it, it, it had results. I mean, the very fact that they're writing the letter to the church means that they were able to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. Um, and so Paul just makes that that plain in the in the first verse of chapter two, um, and and maybe a good a good reminder for all of us that when we do things in the name of the Lord and for God's sake, that we leave the results up to the Lord. Um, it may not always seem like it's a success in human eyes, but we trust that when we share the word, that the results are in God's hands, and nothing ever done for the Lord is in vain. Uh, verse 2 says, You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, even though we were surrounded by many who opposed us. So just stopping there for a moment at verse 2, um, I'm going to take us back to Acts 16. This is what we also mentioned last last week, is that Acts 15, 16, 17 is the, the part in, in uh, Luke's account of the early church where we see what happened with Paul and Silas and Timothy as they went on their missionary journeys. But particularly at Philippi, and um, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy met a lot of opposition. 
Now, now this isn't the church in Philippi per se, because they came and they did plant a church there. But this is just talking about the the community at large. Um, if you if you go back and look at Acts sixteen, um, you'll see round about verse sort of eighteen nineteen. Um, after there's this incident with this this young woman who was a fortune teller, and and they pray for her. And and the and the spirit the demon leaves her suddenly now she doesn't have that gift of telling people's fortune anymore this made her owners upset they were thrown into prison um, and verse twenty two of Acts sixteen says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so he took no chances but put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So, I mean, there you have it. Um, the story obviously carries on, um, but but that is what Paul is referring to here in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So that obviously told the story to the church and, and people got to hear their testimony of, um, of how they had been treated, but also how God had given them courage to continue to share the good news. And I think this is also important, is we will face obstacles as, as Christians. We will face times of testing, but we need to, to seek God and to ask God for the courage to carry on uh, walking in, in his ways. And so Paul just makes mention of that. Um, verse 3 says, So you can see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure purposes or with trickery. Now, um, it seems to be, if one does a bit of reading around this, that there were many tricksters and fraudsters and false prophets around at the time. Um, and, and I think we, we know that because often Paul's letters speak about these, um, these people. But Paul is making it clear to the church that when they were there, they came with pure motives. Um, I mean, even just as you, you carry on to, to verse 4, you'll see that he's emphasizing this. Verse 4 says, For we speak as messengers who have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of our hearts. Never once, verse 5, did we try to win you with flattery, as you will very well know. And God is our witness that we were not just pretending to be your friends, so you would give us money. As for praise, we have never asked for it from you or anyone else. So just those couple of verses together, we see that Paul um, is clear, clearly, I think what has happened um, is, is that people have been bad-mouthing Paul, Silas, and Timothy. As the church began to spread, you had um, a reaction, a strong reaction, as we know, from the Jewish community um, who, who didn't want to convert to Christianity. So, so there was that strong reaction from them. Also from the Gentiles, from the people in the world, if you like that term, they also began to see the church springing up and they began to badmouth Paul and Timothy. And it was all just around discrediting them. And so sometimes all you need is a little bit of gossip to come into a church or into a community to, to spread doubt. Um, and so Paul is just putting everything uh, to bed here. He's saying, listen, we never came with that motive at all. Um, 
you know, we, we didn't come to flatter you so that then you would give us things. Um, and, and I think this, this whole thing of flattery is something that we, um, we need to discern. And, and we, we, we know people like that. I'm sure you know somebody who, you know, they, they talk a good, a good story. But often their story is just because they want something from you. And Paul is saying to them, listen, we didn't, we didn't try and flatter you and be nice to you so we could get things from you. We actually were there. We were being genuine. We were there to share the gospel with you. And he said, and you know, as God is our witness, we weren't pretending to be your friends. Um, and so all of this, this kind of language that Paul is saying, and, and he actually says it in, in, um, in verse 4, is that we were there to please God and not people. Um, and so if you can see that in our hearts, then please hold on to that. Um, I think subtly there's also a, a warning for the church not to just believe every story that they hear or just also be aware of, um, of false prophets who come in and, and try to stir up the community. So just to emphasize this even more, uh, he says in verse 7, as apostles of Christ, and that word apostle means a messenger of God or somebody who has seen the Lord, depending which, which um, definition you like. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but we were as gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. So, I mean, one doesn't know exactly what those demands were, but, but Paul is saying, obviously, we came among you. We came to, to share um, the, the good news with you. We, we would have had needs. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing their needs would have been um, resources, a place to stay, some food, um, you know, whatever it was. But Paul says, we didn't come as dictators. Uh, I think Paul was accused sometimes of being a very hard dictator. Um, so the language he uses here is to, to say to them, listen, we actually came just like as a mother gently cares for her children. That's really how we came because we saw you as, as our children in the faith. Uh, verse 8, he says, we loved you so much that we gave you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And this, I think, is, is something that's very evident in um, whether you can see somebody as genuine or not, is, is whether they follow up with their actions. Um, talk is very cheap. You know, we can talk a good story, but in the actions of somebody, we see how much they really do um, love. And and Paul is saying, listen, we didn't just talk. We we also gave you our lives. We gave of what we could. And then he just to emphasize this, he says, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you, night and day, we toiled to earn a living, so that our expenses would not be a burden to anyone there as we preach God's good news among you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were pure and honest and faultless toward all of the believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. So we see a connection there, verse 10, with verse 7. Um, so the image of a mother caring for a child, and then also as a father cares for his own children. In the, in the purest sense of the word, Paul says, we were there as parents for you. Um, now, what is interesting here about verse 9 is the idea of what we would call tent making. Um, it's, it's, I think it's well documented that Paul was a tent maker. He, he worked to earn his keep. Um, and, and this was just the way the ministry worked at the, at, in those particular at, at times. 
Um, Paul, as a missionary, if you like, he was going to plant churches. He wasn't going to then stay and be the pastor or the minister or whatever you like to use the term today of those communities. He went there to plant them. Um, and obviously he, he had need. He had need of, of like I say, food and lodging and, and that, that kind of thing. Um, but he makes it in a point here to say that he actually worked. So they, they probably worked in the day doing whatever they could. Um, and if, if we know Paul and Silas and Timothy, they, they used that as a chance also to share the good news with others. Um, but then when they could and on the Sabbath, when they could teach, they, they taught and helped people to come to know, know God. Now, I found something interesting which I want to share at this particular point is that in the, um, the early days of the church, the date is a little bit uh, tenuous, but it's probably between AD 100 to 300. So it's the early church fathers. There was a document um, called the Didache. D-I-D-A-C-H-E, Didache. And, and this was, if you like, the first Christian book of order. Um, it actually, the full title of it was called the Didache, the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. And, and what began to happen as the church uh, spread, as it began to face, I guess, challenges and conflicts and opposition and and the more and more people that came into the church, so they needed a book of order. Now, now this happens um, in any church movement. Um, in the early days of planting churches, it may just be one church, but then as soon as it becomes two, three, four, five, there needs to be some kind of oversight. Um, in the Methodist church, we, we see this. Um, sometimes the red tape is, is pretty frustrating, um, but we have a book of order, and, and the book of order is there to help and guide the church's in making decisions. Um, and, and so what happened in the early church is that they had this didache. Now, I found this out for the first time, and it's thanks to William Barclay's commentary on Thessalonians, that in the didache, it had sort of four parts to it. One was very simply, you know, um, there are two ways to live, the way of life and the way of death. The second one was about how to do baptisms, Holy Communion, how to undergo fasting, just general church practices. The third one was about ministry um, and particularly how to deal with um, false preachers and, and then also traveling preachers. And then the last one was about the second coming, that Christ was coming soon. So it's interesting that even, let's just call it a few generations after um, the disciples had, had lived and died, there were some things cropping up in the church where people, Christians, were abusing the hospitality of other Christians. So they, I'm imagining they would be traveling preachers, traveling, um, and they would kind of overstay their welcome. Um, and this is why I think Paul is going to great um, emphasis to say that they didn't become a burden to the people. Now, can I just read this, um, and, I, and I'm quoting from um, a quote that's in William Barclay's commentary, it says this, Let every apostle that comes to you be received as from the Lord, and he shall stay one day, and if be the next day also. But if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. Um, and then it says also, but if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Then it says, carrying on here, if a traveling preacher comes, um, succor him as far as you can. 
but he shall not abide with you longer than two or three days unless there is a necessity. But if he does settle among you and he's a craftsman, let him work and eat. But if he has no trade, according to you, your understanding, provide that he shall not live idle among you, being a Christian. But if he will not do this, he is a Christ monger. Of such men beware. That's in the Didache chapters 11 and 12. Now, if you want to go and do some reading around that, please do, because it's very fascinating. Fascinating for, for me that the early church had to say, look, if there's a traveling preacher coming through, let's practice hospitality. Um, let's treat them as that. And, and then let them come bring God's word to us and then move on. But if they stay and they start to basically beg and become a burden to us, then there's something that's not right. There's something false within them. Um, and that's fascinating, isn't it? That clearly what was happening is there were some people who were abusing this. Um, now, we could go on a whole completely different tangent not right now about pastors and ministers and churches that abuse the congregation. Um, and one always has to have this very fine line of discernment in this because churches do need resources. Um, but um, I have my doubts whether as pastors we need jets to fly all over the place um, or like luxurious cars and so on. But Anyway, that's for another day. But Paul is saying to the congregation, I wasn't a burden to you. I didn't come to beg. I didn't come for any other reason but to share the gospel with you. And, and I think that's, that's a very important thing. Um, let's carry on now. I'll just skip over. So verse 12, we, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you into his kingdom to share his glory. So here we have it again, Paul saying, listen, what we were there to do was to show you the way, to show you how to live a, a godly life. And that was our real purpose in coming. Verse 13, and we will never stop thanking God that when we preached his message to you, you didn't think of the words we spoke as being just our own. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it was. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Um, so Paul, I think, is emphasizing the point that they didn't come to manipulate them with their own words. They came to bring God's word to them. And that's it's God's word that would live on after Paul and them had moved away and the church became established. Verse 14, And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who, because of their belief in Jesus Christ, suffered from their own people, the Jews. So just to be clear on that, verse 14, what Paul is saying, uh, Thessalonica would have been in what we would call Gentile territory, non-Jewish uh, um, territories outside of, of Israel. So these people in the church suffered persecution from the Gentiles, from their own countrymen, from the Greek-speaking people. But Paul is saying, in the same way, when you were going through, through that, you were imitating those Christians who in Judea turned to Christ, but were also persecuted, this time by the, their Jewish neighbors and their Jewish communities. So it's like persecution becomes uh, universal for the church. Then Paul carries on, for some of the Jews had killed their own prophets and, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us and driven us out. 
They displease God and oppose everyone by trying to keep us from preaching the good news to the Gentiles for fear that some might be saved. By doing this, they continue to pile up their own sins, but the anger of God was caught, has caught up with them at last. So we, we, we know that in the early church in the first century, uh, Christianity was seen initially just as a sect of Judaism, but as um, they, it began to grow, um, there, there kind of arose a lot more um, distrust of the Christians. And, and because the, the Jewish communities, um, many of them still under Roman uh, occupation or Roman rulership, they, they did have a, a closer relationship with the ruling party than the Christians did. Um, there, was, there was kind of two things that began to creep in. One, perhaps the Jewish community and the Jewish leaders felt that that relationship with their their oppressors with the Romans was going to be now in jeopardy as the Christians kind of messed it up for them, as well as the the Christian community starting to take converts because many of the initial converts were were Jewish. They were they were what we call Messianic Jews. They were Jews who converted to Christianity, um, and then ultimately the Gentiles, non-Jewish background, started to to follow Christ. And so all of this was happening um, at that particular time, and Paul is just making mention of this. Uh, verse 17, Dear friends, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. Paul and Silas and Timothy made mention in the first chapter of how much their hearts were there for uh, for the people they they really expressed their love for the communities um, one could say that this just wasn't a job for them it was something that they really believed in and they they saw the people as part of their own family um, so although they were far away they were their hearts were never far from the church in Thessalonica and I think we can understand that I mean many people who have family living far away from us you know we we know that there's a geographic distance but in our hearts we feel close to the family at times um, and and that's kind of what Paul is is saying uh, verse 18 we wanted very much to come to obviously to Thessalonica and I Paul tried again and again but Satan prevented us now in a different version of this it says Satan blocked our way now, in the in the Greek, um, the 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 phrase "blocked our way" really emphasizes like a roadblock. So, when people were going to be traveling, or an enemy was going to be coming into a territory, they would set up some kind of roadblock just to slow them down or to to turn them away. And that's the language that Paul is using. He's used it before in other letters too, where they speak about how they were prevented from going to various places. Sometimes the language that they would use was that it was God who, who prevented them um, or through the Spirit prompted them to go somewhere else. Other times he uses the language of how Satan prevents us, so like a, a real supernatural obstacle, a challenge in their way. Um, and so that's just what Paul is, is emphasizing in, in this moment. Um, he says, verse 19, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what is our proud reward and crown, it is you. 
Yes, you will bring us much joy as we stand together before our Lord Jesus when he comes back again, for you are our pride and joy. Another version says, indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, one just gets the image here of a proud parent or a proud grandparent. I mean, we know that pride is a sin, um, but this is a different kind of pro pro being proud, I believe. You know, Paul says to them, you know, uh, when we look at you, when we see how far you've come, when we see how the church is being established, you know, you are our hope and our joy. We, we, we are proud of you and you bring joy to us. Um, you know, any teacher who has guided a student through their classes or through university and particularly sometimes a student who's struggled would, would feel this joy of seeing their student pass the exams. I mean, I know when I lectured at um, the Seth Mokatimi Seminary, you know, I used to take pride in the fact that some of my students who in the beginning of the year were struggling as they were learning uh, to write assignments for the probably the first time and, and English was their third language or at least their second language. You know, you take pride when you see the progress of those students. Um, even chatting the other day, uh, we met somebody who uh, at some point was the rugby coach of Eben Etzebeth and Marvin Ori at, uh, at Tigerberg High School. And um, how, how this rugby coach speaks of pride now um, when, when he watches them play for the Springboks. You know, I, I think this is exactly what Paul is saying here. We can't be with you right now, but we look at you with this pride and joy um, because you, you, you really, you've taken the baton, you've taken the mantle and you're running and, you, and you're keeping your eyes fixed on the Lord. And so um, I think if, if one looks at, at Paul's heart, um, and, and obviously I'm, I'm including Silas and Timothy in this, it, it's of a, a mentor, of a parent looking at a young church. This church, we guess, is a few years old when they are writing back to it. Um, and, and we also ask ourselves, you know, as, as we reflect on this, what are some of the things we could give to other believers? Um, and, and, I, and I heard something the other day, which I think is very simple, but, but also helpful. It's that, that we really have two gifts to give to, to one another. The first is the gospel. So, you know, what is the good news? Um, and the other is ourselves. So if, if as Christians, we could see Paul's example here is that they gave the good news to those who had need and those who were willing to listen but they also gave themselves. They gave time. They gave effort. Um, and, and I don't believe that in any form of ministry, whether it's full-time or um, whether it's done voluntarily or by members, lay members of the church, um, it, it all costs something. Um, not financially I'm talking about. I'm talking about it costs something. It costs time. It costs effort. Um, there is a, um, a decision we have to make, and that is to give of ourselves. And so I'm going to stop there um, today, friends. Thank you for, for joining with us. Um, as always, I invite you to reread the passage, ask God to draw your attention to anything that we've missed out, and I can only touch on a few things in this, um, in this time. Um, but I pray God would add his blessing to uh, the scriptures and also begin to reveal things to us that we perhaps need to, to look at in our own spiritual lives and also in our own Christian communities. 
Um, so wherever you're listening to this, I pray God may bless you. Amen.